0: Another day another dollar makes you wonder where your mother went you can scream and you can holler Hi it folks it's Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing times and the changing world and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Dictated is almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas from my personal mobile studio, which is my 2006 Jetta Diesel TDI uh, that generally travels either at a snail's pace in uh, bumper-to-bumper traffic or about 70 miles miles an hour when I get some open road like I usually have at the beginning of my commute right now. And that's where we're at, 70 MPH and 76 degrees in a cloudy, kind of nasty-looking morning here in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. Don't usually give you guys a weather report, but figured you needed one after all this time. That's what friends do occasionally, they talk about the weather. that's not what we're here to talk about. As always, we're here to talk about improving your place in life if times get tough or even if they don't. That is the mission of the Survival Podcast. We do that through a variety of ways. We'll talk about the economy one day, we'll talk about politics the next, we'll talk about practical preparations to survival a day after that, and then maybe the next day we'll talk about something like we're going to talk about today, growing and producing your own food in the form of organic gardening. That's where today's subject is going to take us when we get to it. I do have some house pinning in, another quick brief this time update on the flu, and some other things that I want to let you guys know about, but this topic came up yesterday. Sister Wolf asked about it in the forum, and uh, I don't know if she asked yesterday. It might have been a couple days, and I've been snoozing there or whatever. But I finally saw the request and thought, yeah, we'll do that. Uh, but before we get into the topic. Let's uh, let's do a little bit of house cleaning. Uh, let's start out with something pretty big deal that happened for uh, us overnight. Uh, last night I went to bed about 11.30, midnight, something like that, checked the email one more time, cleaned it out, had kind of a loon uh, commenting on our forum about how uh, people who use bug-out locations are cowards because they run away and he's going to stand and die. Uh, we won't go into that, but uh, if you're interested, look at yesterday's show notes, so you can see where that thing went. Uh and how I came back around to something halfway decent, but uh, so I go to bed and something happened about 3:20 a.m. last night. I don't know what it was, but it ended up getting me out of bed and going downstairs and uh, just happened to walk by the office and notice I left the computer on, and I uh, thought that's not that's not usually like me. So I went in there to shut it off, uh, but not only did I leave it on, I left Outlook open, so emails were being pulled. Well, there were 84 emails between 11 o'clock and and 3 a.m. Which, 84 emails in four hours is not a big deal for me, but 84 emails between the hours of midnight and 4 a.m., something's weird going on. So I started looking at them. They were all subscriptions to the site's email news alert. Basically, every time uh, I publish a show, those of you who are on my email list get a little email just to say, there's a new episode, here's what it's about, come listen if you'd like to listen on this subject. Well, almost all 84 of them were new subscribers, so I thought my email system went crazy. I deleted everything. And went back to bed. Got this morning, and there was about 80 more of just that part, and then the normal email that comes into the morning. And one email said, You've made it. What does this mean? Something must have happened overnight. It turns out we are featured on the homepage today of lourockwell.com right at the top. It's actually one of my articles that I put together when I put the site together to explain things called Modern Survival Philosophy. And uh, they featured that. And we're getting a lot of traffic and I guess a lot of new listeners from lourockwell.com. So if that is you, welcome. And uh, I'm going to email Lou today because it's the only contact email I've seen on that site don't know if he'll actually get or read my email. I don't know how much he gets a day, probably a lot more than me, and I get a ton. Uh, but I'm going to thank them for that and uh, tell him I really appreciate it. That's a pretty big deal for us, so I want to let you all know that. Random house cleaning, or normal house cleaning, I guess you'd say. Uh, number one, continue to visit our sponsors on the site. They help make the show possible. Um, you know, check out... Uh, check out uh, Tactical response gear uh, James Jaeger's operation and, and and have a look at some of the equipment He's got there uh, I think he has some of the best stuff in the industry And uh, gets a lot of his stuff From SOE gear uh, John Willis uh, Who has been uh, very very good to the show As well so he's a great Sponsor to do business with Please continue to do business with our sponsors again They're what makes doing the show possible Or part of what makes doing the show possible uh, Additionally another thing that makes the show possible is you listening. Uh, but if in that listening you feel you get 25 cents in value an episode, uh, that works out to about five bucks a month and that's how much it is to join the member support brigade. So consider joining the member support brigade and get some exclusive content that's available only to members. Uh, region 5 here in Texas and Arkansas and Louisiana and Oklahoma, I think that's most of the region if not all. Uh, we're having a big bug out camp out get together, but it's a come one come all event anybody is welcome from just about anywhere in the world. If you want to come out and hang out with us, we'll be near Gulf Texas. Uh, Hanging out over that weekend And uh, we'll be home by Monday So we'll have that one day back home That put a little buffer in And I think that's why people selected it So anyway, uh, there'll be details Available on our forum There'll be a link in the show notes At thesurvivalpodcast.com today to that And uh, Dirt Time 09 Wilderness Ways Huge event out in San Bernardino, California I don't even know if they have any places Left for that event or not I'm really not sure I know the magazine's coming out I think this week, maybe next week I'm not sure but uh, you can check and see if there's anything still open and available to come to that that is going to be an awesome week-long event last week of August in San Bernardino California it will be myself and 14 other survival and preparedness experts giving various workshops uh, throughout the week all right so that wraps up our house cleaning let's uh, let's talk real briefly about the flu I want to every day this week I've gone more and more from we need to keep an eye on and it could be something that we have to worry about, too. I think everybody's overreacting, and this is a non-event. And and I'm about... 99% 99% of the way with, do you just need to go on with your life and, and, and not worry about this particular uh, flu uh, anymore? The, this is this is absolutely turning into an absolute fiasco with the government. What, what, what the hell is no, all right? It's turning into an absolute fiasco with the media. What the hell else is no? But it's absolutely been a non-event as far as people getting infected and what it's doing. Uh, there are now multiple school districts throughout Dallas-Fort Worth closed. Uh, they closed Mayfest, which is our big uh, May festival out in Fort Worth. Huge event. People go to it, look forward to it all year. It's costing just the people that run the event a minimum of a half a million dollars. It's costing all the vendors that do business there, uh, all the business that they do. And I mean, this is a big event. The whole thing's going to have to be costing well over a million dollars to the local economy, plus the half million that usually goes into things like you know taking care of our parks and recreation creation out in the city of Fort Worth. Uh, why? Because, you know, there's a swine flu, people might die. Um, at the same time, the city of Dallas seems to be keeping its head a little bit better. Uh, there was a big Fleetwood Mac concert last night. They ran it out at the Dallas, uh, I guess the Arboretum or what have you. Uh, thousands and thousands of people showed up, and uh, the world did not end. All I'm telling you, you know, I'm not going to be like all every politician that comes out and says, okay, this is romper room. Wash your hands and cover your mouth you know you do the things that you always do and like i said yesterday what i've noticed is in the prepper community we're not freaking out because we're informed and we're prepared so just keep a lid on this and really watch these emails I got one yesterday from a forum member uh, that supposedly came from a doctor. Atkins which is a little bit suspicious suspicious of because I am a big fan of the original dr. Atkins that does the uh, high protein uh, low carbohydrate uh, moderate fat diet model and thought that name sounded you know familiar and was there really an Atkins at UT Southwest Medical there is I forwarded not If you're listening, the person that sent that to me, not your name at all in any way, shape, or form, but just the the email. Uh, to him and said, can this be attributed to you or not? Because there's a lot of things in there that really make me skeptical that any doctor would recommend them and if he gets back to me, and if he doesn't, I'm going to actually try to call his office today. I'm going to find out. And Monday I'll let you all know if that email is indeed a complete or partial hoax. Uh, It's kind of interesting that there's actually a doctor's name attached to it and he's local to me and I can, you know, get a hold of him. So, uh, we'll see how that goes. I told you about another email yesterday that I'm pretty damn sure is a hoax. So so watch these things that get circulated around where they're supposed to be insider information, people are dying, they're on respirators, all this other nonsense. Whenever anything goes like this, uh, there's people out there that are just flat out mentally ill, uh, that want to look like they're important and, and make something up because they believe it's true even though they made it up. Uh, there's 14 year old kids with big pimples that can't find a date that have nothing else to do and want to see how viral they can make an email. There's all of that stuff going on, so please keep your head about your shoulders with this stuff, folks. Don't overreact to it. So... Moving on to the actual topic today, we've eaten up ten minutes. That's unusual for my intros, but uh, there's just so much going on uh, that I, I just wanted to cover all of that with you. So today we're going to talk about organic methods of controlling pests in the garden, uh, ways not to uh, to use harsh chemicals, harsh insecticides, harsh fertilizers, all that type of stuff. And again, this was a topic suggested by Sister Wolf, and I thought it was a great topic. But before I go in, I'm going to give you like five methods to use stuff that you can apply that actually kills or repels pests. And I'm going to give you some planting ideas, things that you can plant that help either repel or actually some plants that you can plant that will actually kill pests. But before I do that, I have to explain to you kind of the overall concept of what we're trying to accomplish when it comes to organic gardening and what the motivation is for the home gardener and for the survivalist uh, more than just even the home gardener. We're not trying to save vanities, we're not trying to save polar bears, and we're not worried about global warming when we do organic gardening. And I'm also not afraid to eat a tomato that somebody, you know, you know, fertilized with Miracle Grow. It's not going to kill you. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to damage you in any way. Now there are some fertilizers that uh, I question some of the stuff that goes into them, but a lot of the typical fertilizers that a home gardener will use, from a standpoint of a health, you know, they're not going to they're not going to degrade your diet to the point where you're going to die. And unless you're growing 100% of your own food and you're absolutely, you know, sure 100% of your own uh, the food you buy is coming from organic sources, you're getting some of that stuff anyway. So that's not what it's about. It's about the fact that this is a better, more productive, long-term, sustainable solution that will make your life easier after a couple of years. And one of the things that frustrates me about like gardening gurus uh, that talk about this stuff is they're not honest often about the fact that this stuff's often harder in the first couple of years than using all these adjuncts, than using... Insecticides and using Miracle Grow and using these other fertilizers and you know doing all this other stuff. They don't. They're not honest with you about that because they want you to do it. So they don't want to tell you that there's anything hard about it. And there's not really anything hard about it. But generally, your first year, your production won't be what it could be if you were using these other things. But by the time you get into a second year and you've got the, the ecosystem going, your production will increase. By the third year, you'll find that you're able to garden through drought easier. You're able to garden later and earlier in the year. Everything will get better because you're building an ecosystem. And to me, it's an ecosystem that all starts with healthy soil. And we have to understand what the hell healthy soil means. Now, people would tend to think if I take compost and uh, peat moss and what have you and mix it all together and I get a good soil that has all all the you know phosphorus, nitrogen, uh, and, and potassium that's needed, and soil and minerals and everything else, and uh, everything's well balanced. That's healthy soil. It's the beginning of healthy soil. It's the genesis of a healthy soil. It's not inhabited with living creatures yet. So it's not an ecosystem yet. It doesn't have its own reproduction and sustainability going on yet. Now, the good news is if you start with a soil like that, or you amend your soil to get it there, and you leave it out in the open in your garden, and you start growing things in it, and you do things right, and you don't put harsh fertilizers that kill the soil creatures off, it'll happen all by itself with some additional things you need to consider. You need to hold your erosion back. That's one big thing. Mulching is hugely important and hugely effective. I might do a video this weekend if we get some decent friggin' weather here uh, for the member support brigade on on mulching. And one of the advantages of square foot gardening is being able to mulch as you you get plants large enough to mulch around them. So you put seeds in the ground, you don't want to mulch over that. But once they come up, you can mulch in your individual squares. It's a great way to start building and managing your soil one square at a time. So I'm a big fan of square foot gardening. Let me say something I'm not a big fan of with square foot gardening. This new method that Mel came up with, with his newest book, where they take this big thing a weed blocker and put it at the bottom of the raised bed and block all the weeds. Well, that weed blocker also blocks things like worms from going up and down to the deeper soil lovers. Now, eventually they'll get through it. My point is, why does it need to be there anyway? I prefer to use something like cardboard or paper, which quickly starts to break down, and it becomes permeable to all the little organisms. Uh, because a lot of times your worms might want to go deeper one day and, and, and shallower the next, and they are the lifeblood of the soil. So everything starts with that soil and having silks healthy, living soil. Potting mix will grow plants really good for a year and then it peters out. You have to have something going on in there. You have to have life in your soil. And without that, you're not going to get anywhere. The problem with most people that switch over to organic gardening is they think the way that most people do that switch over from you know conventional to alternative medicine. Let's look at something simple like a headache. A person has a headache and they've been taking aspirin, aspirin or Tylenol or what have you, and it's been working reasonably well, but they decide they don't want to take it anymore because of the side effects. Good deal, I understand. So they start taking willow bark because it's where aspirin comes from. And they, so they start taking white willow bark. They get the same kind of effect from the aspirin of reducing the headache, and they think they've done something. And they have done something. They've, you know, if they've gotten off of Motrin or Tylenol, it's better for their kidneys and their stomach, but... There's a reason that you have a headache, especially if you don't, like, we're not talking about a headache once a month. We're talking about headaches every day, and you're taking some every day. Something's out of balance, and a headache is not a deficiency in aspirin or Tylenol, right? It's like scurvy. You give a person with scurvy vitamin C, it cures them because it's a vitamin C deficiency. A headache isn't that. So when you give them this, this, this item, uh, it, it just simply suppresses the symptom. And unless you correct the underlying problem, you won't solve the underlying problem. And as soon as whatever you give them runs out, the problem comes back. Think about that. So now we go into gardening, and we don't want to put miracle grow on our tomatoes because it has harsh uh, man-made chemicals that will kill earthworms and beneficial nematodes and all kinds of other good little guys that live down in our soil. It will damage them and chase them away. So we switch, and we say, well, what I'm going to do is make up a mix of, let's say, compost, blood meal, and coffee grounds. We're going to mix that together and use that as a fertilizer substitute. Absolutely will work absolutely will make your tomatoes grow beautifully. Nothing wrong with it, except it's just like switching aspirin to, to willow bark. You've given the, kind of your plants a shot in the arm. There's nothing going on down there in the soil unless you encourage that. So you have to keep giving them the shot in the arm every time they start to become deficient again. What you really want to do is create an ecosystem in that soil that continuously rebuilds itself over time and becomes able to sustain itself over time with the simple addition of something as mundane as mulch, which will eventually compost itself down from the surface, and compost that you add to your soil as regular amendments to keep the organic matter high in the soil and then let nature take care of itself. If you build healthy soil, controlling weeds... Controlling uh, pests and other things, and all these things that I'm going to give you will work very well. If you just try to do them by themselves, you're going to struggle and constantly fight the battle. You may win the battles, but you'll have to fight them all the time. I want to teach you how to build a sustainable method of agriculture for yourself. Puts food on your table. You know, today before the shit hits the fan, or tomorrow, if the shit hits the fan, you're still able to feed yourself with some level of self-production without spending every waking moment trying to take care of your garden. That's why we organic garden. Again, this is not about saving polar bears and manatees or redwood forests. This is about a better, more effective system, and the reason I point that out is a lot of people uh, that would like to garden that aren't worried about their carbon footprint, and I'm not either, say, well, blah, I don't need an organic garden, I don't worry about I want, that's why I want, you know, it's kind of a sales message. You're better off this way. The the, the heck with, you know, all the other environmentalism. Now, once you have that solid soil in place, one of the big things I am a fan of is square foot gardening. I was a slow convert to it. Um, I've always been big into companion planting and things like that, but I didn't feel the need to have a grid to help me do it. If you don't believe in square foot gardening, take one of your existing beds, put a one foot square grid into it, go out uh, and, and get a copy of Mel's book, and start planting your plants in the grids and managing each grid individually and mixing your plantings together and it will convert you overnight as soon as you start doing it. One of the big things, you're trying to control pests. Let's say you're trying to control cucumber beetles and squash beetles. So you plant a great huge long row, and half of the row is cucumbers and half of the row is squash. Now, I just want you to think, do you see squash beetles and cucumber beetles hanging around your house when you don't have squash and cucumbers planted? The answer is probably no. They don't show up. The environment's not there for them. But when you plant a complete row of nothing but cucumbers or squash, you've given them a a nirvana. I mean, they they have a heaven. It's It's exactly what they want, all in one place, nothing else there. Everything else mulched down, weeded out, pulled out, and they have an isolated pocket of their primary habitat. You're, it's like sounding the dinner bell. Ding, 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 ding. Come on, beetles. Right? Come hang out. Now, you start doing square foot gardening, you're intermixing your plantings. You never have one full bed of anything. So you've already disrupted that, and you start doing natural companion planting, because many of the vegetables that you grow will confuse these guys or attract beneficial insects. Just by being intermixed, you're going to mitigate that problem. So that's a big step in the right direction. So with that down, what, do we, what can we actually, if we're having individual problems, we're having spot problems, somewhere we're having an issue, what can we apply that will actually kill or repel insects? I think that everything I'm about to give you should pretty much uh, be used on spot treatments and be used for acute problems, not used every day, not even used every week. With that disclaimer, let's go over some of the the good organic insect killers. The first one is called Dimitaneous Earth, or DE for short. And what this is, it's it's powdered um, diatome fossils. These little sea creatures that are millions of years old, and they're in the ocean floor or they're in ancient sea floors. Uh, and they dig it up and they powder it to this white powder. And you can just kind of spread it around on the uh, soil wherever the bad insects are crawling and getting onto your plants at. Or I've actually used it uh, at, at times with a kind of a duster tool, little thing you fill up and you crank the side of it and it spreads it out as a dust. You don't want to breathe this stuff in, and I'm going to tell you why when I tell you how it kills insects, but I used to have real bad problems up in Pennsylvania with broccoli and uh, cauliflower being hit by cabbage flies, uh, little white moths, these little green uh, caterpillars. You spray this stuff on the leaves of your cabbage or the leaves of your uh, broccoli or what have you, um, and... You ain't got a problem anymore. Because what happens, these little particles of of the DE actually gets into the skin, and it goes in there, and it's like little knives, little daggers, and it goes mechanically and starts to break down and destroy cells and work its way into their body, and it kills them, and it kills them dead. And it's very, very effective. And it's mechanical. So they can't develop a resistance to it. It's like, just like you can't just develop a resistance to a knife through the heart. Uh, a, a, a cabbage fly larva can't develop a resistance to a DE particle working its way into their body and cutting them apart from the inside. Bad side of DE, it will kill beneficial insects. Any insect that it can work its way into its body, it can be damaging to. So it needs to be used sparingly. But particularly if you're growing broccoli, cabbage, anything like that, and you're having problems with those little green caterpillars, dusting just those plants works very, very, very effectively. Uh, Another great repellent and uh, very, uh, very useful, and will even do some repelling to rabbits. And they tell me squirrels, so I'm about to try this myself because I'm getting about tired of squirrels digging up my garden for no good reason. They're digging up my brand-new bed. They can't possibly have anything in it for them. Uh, they're not killing the plants; they're just digging, and uh, that's causing them to dig up some of my plants. I've lost a few plants to them, so I'm going to try garlic uh, to this this weekend and see if it starts to repel the squirrels. It's totally safe. I mean, you can take garlic repellent, spray it in your mouth, and drink it. It's not going to help you. You don't need to. Uh, you don't need to go out and buy garlic repellent from your you know organic gardening store or the organic section of your gardening store. Garlic repellent is garlic uh, and and water. And you can basically take, if you use... I like to use the pre-chopped garlic that comes in a big jar. If you take a a, a couple good tablespoons of that and soak it in a spray bottle of water and uh, pour some of the liquid, the oil and uh, uh, residue off that garlic into there as well, shake that up and spray it. That's all you need. And you can make it out of fresh garlic as well, or you can just buy garlic oil and put that into water and shake that up and use it. I prefer to use actual garlic with the oil still as part of the garlic fluid liquid, so to speak, because it'll spread out through the uh, the water a lot better instead of floating on the surface. Uh, but that's a great repellent and completely safe. It may repel some beneficials, but unless you spray it on them, you're absolutely not going to kill anything with it. And uh, one of the things you can do is also use uh, onion the same way. And, of course, you can just plant garlic and onion in your garden, and you get a lot of the same effect with repellent. One of the, uh, the great things that's out there that you can use is called neem oil. Now, neem oil is a plant from India. And neem is probably one of the best uh, organic uh, pesticides that that exists in the world. It's absolutely phenomenal, and uh, it'll go a long way to helping you solve problems. Neem is uh, unique in several ways. One, it absolutely doesn't harm beneficial insects. It pretty much only affects insects that chew and suck, uh, which is going to leave you with insects that are actually insects that would damage your plants. So insects that actually eat other insects insects are not really affected by need. So you would think you would spray it with abandon. I don't like to spray anything with abandon. Uh, But you can pretty much use it at will wherever you're having a problem, wherever something's bothering one of your plants, if you're starting to see leaf miner activity or something like that going on. Now, when you spray this stuff, This is the interesting thing that it does. It actually doesn't kill bugs on contact. You take a whole bunch of, uh, let's say, aphids and spray them with neem. You'll look at them and they'll look like, well, nothing's happening. But it's almost like like a biological or chemical weapon against insects. It does something to their brains. It acts like a hormone and they take it into their body like a hormone. And it basically confuses them and makes them senile. It makes them forget it makes them forget what they're supposed to eat or even that they're supposed to eat. It makes them forget that they can fly. It makes them forget where to go. It makes them forget what to do. They just kind of go senile. And then they just sit there and they starve to death because they don't remember to eat. And if they're not eating, you don't really care that they're any they're there anyway because they're dazed and confused. Now here's a little bit of my concern. While they're dazed and confused, a lot of your beneficial insects may be eating them. Now, everything I've read says your beneficials will not have any problems at all. Don't worry about it. Beneficial insects, I mean like small wasps, uh, assassin bugs, things like that that come in and eat your bad bugs. And we'll talk about those guys in just a bit here. Uh, but I, I worry a little bit about overspraying neem and having all of these uh, negative insects gobbled up and could long-term there be an effect. I don't no. So, again, with anything that works, it doesn't mean you use it with abandon. Use it with caution. But don't be afraid. If you're, like, having your bean plants come up and they're uh, starting to have a little bit of a problem with you seeing holes in them and stuff, spray them with a little bit of a, a neem-based uh, insect repellent or buy neem oil and mix it yourself uh, either way, and uh, you'll solve your problem within about a week it'll take for it to really, really take effect. Another thing that you can buy or you can make yourself is kind of a soap-based insecticide. Now, soap is generally safe. You clean your dishes with it and you don't worry about it, so you can definitely spray your food with it. All you really need to do, again, this is another thing you don't need to go out and spend money on and buy, 1% to 2% soap solution to water uh, will mix you up a great soap-based insecticide. You can just use like palm olive dish detergent or something like that. You want to uh, add your palm olive uh, after you fill your bottle so you don't make a foaming mess for yourself and just kind of roll it gently around. You don't want to foam it all up. Put the lid on it. Mark the bottle as what it is and you can pretty much spray insects and it will kill them on contact don't over spray this it can be damaging your plants if you get too much of a soap layer on them but it takes an awful lot so you don't have to worry about it but this is something pretty much to use to sight spray. Now, one of the things you can do with soap, and you can buy uh, uh, insecticides that already have this done for you if you'd like, is you can get neem-based soap uh, insecticides. So they have neem and the soap in there together, and that's a very, very effective combination. You can make your own soap and buy some neem and use your neem directly uh, additionally and kind of put the two together. But soap is really a great insecticide to add repellents to for the animals you don't uh, impact immediately with contact and kill. So some of the great things that you can add to your soap-based stuff is horseradish, garlic, onion, or pepper, or all of them even if you wanted to. You make a very good repellent that way. Um, And those are simply can be crushed up and and soaked in water uh, for a period of time, and then that water used to make your soap-based solution. These are all very natural, very safe. Uh, Some of them can have a little bit of a repellent effect on your beneficials. So again, you just use them where they're needed instead of just spraying them every where it's abandoned, and you'll avoid that problem, because you want the beneficial insects there as well. Uh, another thing that you can use is orange-based uh, insecticides, and those you're probably better off getting commercial versions of, uh, just because they're going to be well-mixed, you're not going to have problems with the orange oils uh, separating heavily on you and what have you. Completely organic, completely safe. Another thing, you can probably eat some of it if you want to. You spray it on your countertops, and it's very good at getting rid of Fire ants. It kills them on contact, and it repels them, and it makes their you know the environment unconducive for them. So that's something you can put in one of those great big lawn sprayers, and occasionally spray your lawn down with a very heavy layer of orange-based insecticide, and uh, you'll do absolutely no damage, and you'll repel your fire ants, and it will kill on contact as well a lot of the insects that you'd like to keep out of your garden. Uh, it can also kill beneficials if used excessively So, again, it's something you want to use kind of a spot treatment, but if you're having uh, problems with your lawn, it's a great way to clear out the fire ants and send them scrambling into your neighbor's yard. So that kind of knocks down all the things that you can directly apply. Let's look at something else, though. One of the biggest things that you need to be doing is encouraging beneficial predator insects to be in your garden to make the system sustainable, because everything I just gave you is useful as it is, if you're using it as anything other than to solve acute problems, you don't have a sustainable system. That's why you have to keep going back and doing something about it and being involved on a you know almost a daily basis to kill off all these bad guys and uh, to deal with all these other situations. You want to get into that situation where your garden by and large looks after itself. A great way to do that is to attract beneficial insects. Well, how do you do that? You give them the habitat that they want. Just like I said, if you don't plant squash, You'll probably never see a squash beetle in your yard. As soon as you plant squash, squash beetle shows up. What that means is when you give an insect the habitat that it prefers, it will find you. So if you put out habitat for beneficial predator insects that they like, they'll show up, they'll hang out in your garden, and they'll kill and eat the insects that come in. This is another thing that's really awesome. There's absolutely no way for, let's say, an aphid to develop a resistance to a lacewing, because a lacewing eats it. Right? So you don't develop a resistance to diametaneous earth rupturing the cells of your body. Well, you also do not develop a resistance to a predator eating you. So as long as you can create a lot of predator habitat, you're always going to have a natural level of control to which no resistance can be built up. That's why I'm gonna talk about a lot of these plants that you can plant now in your garden, interplanting. And again, if you do square foot gardening, and I had somebody ask me yesterday, why do you recommend square foot gardening over biointensive gardening? Everything I talk about is biointensive. everything. Square foot is a methodology for the layouts of your planting. Now, Mel has his own mix and all these other things that he's added to it to make it more interesting and in some ways to make it more effective. For, excuse me. For the methodology that, that he is recommending. But really what it comes out is how you allocate your space to be efficient and get a benefit from. So that's why I recommend square foot gardening. It's more about, it makes it very, very easy. And again, it's something that I held out against a long time. I don't use squares in my garden. When I tried it, it made so much sense. And it made visualization of where I was going to plant things. And the management of the individual soil components so easy that I became a believer the first time I did it. And I'm setting all my gardens up that way now. Even when I'm growing a big block of corn, I'm still doing it with a square foot methodology because it's highly useful. If you do that and you start planting, some of these things I'm going to give you at some of your squares, all your companion planting, all your crop rotation, everything else is going to take care of itself. Another big thing is crop rotation. Let's say you plant squash in the same bed every year. The squash beetles come in there, and they eat your squash, and they damage it. And then they lay eggs, and then they, they come and they lay the overwinter stuff. That stays in your soil. You plant it next year, new squash bug pops up. Hello, there's what I need right there. Same thing with pests that infect beans. You plant beans in the same bed every year. doesn't really hurt the soil. Beans are beneficial. To the soil, but the things that eat the beans are right there in the soil. Yummy, yummy. There it is. Square foot gardening, you'll do rotation. If you don't do squares, make sure you're still doing rotation. But then try adding some of these things. One of the things I really like planting in my garden, and uh, this is something I kind of picked up from the Dervaeus family out in California, are nasturtiums. These are a flower that are part of the watercress family. They're kind of peppery. You can eat the leaves and you can eat the flowers. They're great in a salad, but they they attract predators, including the ultimate predator to me, the assassin bug. A lot of people love the praying mantis. The problem with the pre- praying mantis is they're lazy. They only eat once in a while, and they'll kill anything, including spiders and other insects that you want in your garden. Assassin bugs, they're real heavy on eating the beetles that you do not want in your garden and other soft-bodied pests that you do not want in your bo- uh, garden, and they are voracious in their appetite. And they don't eat anything, honestly. That you would really consider a beneficial, at least not uh, to a large degree. So assassin bugs are great, and for some reason they really like nasturtiums. Plus, you're adding kind of a unique edible to your garden. Uh, it also has a tendency to repel squash and cucumber beetles just by being there. They don't seem to like nasturtiums, maybe because assassin bugs tend to hang out in it. I'm not really sure, but you you kind of kill two birds with one stone. There, you have a good habitat for your beneficials and a repellent for the uh, guys that you'd prefer not being there. Another good thing to plant in your garden, which will give you a lot of repellent factor and a huge attraction of beneficial insects, is mint. Now, every time I mention putting mint in your garden, I have to give a disclaimer. If you put mint in your garden and you leave it unchecked, it will spread out throughout your garden, become a weed, and take over your entire garden. So there's a couple different things that you can do there. One is you can basically, um, if you're doing square foot gardening, dig down into your garden and put down a layer of weed blocker in the entire square, maybe six inches deep, and on all four sides of that, plant your mint in there. That'll reduce its ability for it to send runners out. Not really the thing that I prefer to do, but... It'll work, it'll help, and then of course you'll want to, at some point, you're actually dig your mint up, maybe dry it out, use it however you want to, uh, for culinary uses or for medicinal uses, and plant a piece of it somewhere else, and try to eradicate it. You have to be careful though, because I said it can become highly, highly invasive. My preferred method is you get a couple pots of mint, and you keep them, you know, spread out amongst your garden, and you get all the effects, and they're not in your garden. That's, that's what I recommend you do with mint, but it's absolutely Very, very effective at both repelling some of the negative insects and bringing in a lot of the good guys. Uh, Onions and garlic. Just plant onions and garlic in your garden. That's all you really need to do, but instead of having one giant row with all onions and garlic in it or all onions or all garlic, plant some garlic and onions intermixed. Every bed should have some onions and garlic. Just keep your onions and garlic away from your beans and peas. They don't like each other. The onions and garlic will do okay. It really has a negative effect on the growth rate and the health of beans and peas and any kind of a legume. So that includes things like soybeans, lime, beans, green beans, any bean, uh, any pea. Keep your onions and get some separation there. Otherwise, they are a great thing to add. French marigolds. Marigolds, if you'd like, you can, uh, again, they're an edible flower, so they're good in salads and things like that, that color. They kill bad nematodes. But There's two types of nematodes that live in your soil. One eats eats other insects that are bad and other soil pests that are bad and it's a, it's a predator and then the other one likes to eat the roots of your plants and it kills them or it causes them damage or it doesn't let them grow as well as they should well, what happens when you plant French marigolds, for some reason the bad nematodes go mm, yum, and they eat the heck out of the French marigold roots, and then they die in that order, and fairly quickly. Uh, they're very, very effective at that. For some reason, the uh, insects eat them uh, above all other roots that are down there with them. They absolutely uh, seem to love them, yet it kills them. And I guess an insect brain, especially, we're not talking about insects here, we're talking about a nematode, an almost microscopic organism, that they don't get it and they just keep dying. Uh, so that's a very, very useful uh, uh, plant for your garden. The other thing about marigolds is they have an aroma. And if you've ever smelled marigolds like on a rainy day or, a, you know, in the morning when the, when the dew's on them or at night when you water your plants, they have a very strong aroma. And I find it pleasing, uh, but it is different and it is strong, and you'll know it immediately when you smell it. Well, apparently a lot of the pest insects really don't like that smell. So just by planting marigolds in your garden, you'll repel a lot of these insects. If you have problems with Japanese beetles, you can plant a plant called a four o'clock. And uh, Japanese beetles are drawn to four o'clock. They're also drawn to rose bushes. But they like four o'clocks even better than rose bushes. They eat them, and then they fly away and die. And they do it very quickly. I mean, it's, it's almost like they're eating a pure toxin, a pure poison. Now, four o'clocks are poisonous. If you have cats or dogs that tend to chew on everything, you need to keep them away from it. If you think you're going to have a problem there, just like oleander, they're probably something you don't want to plant uh, in an environment where you're going to have problems with pl- pets eating it. Uh, but as long as your pets don't eat everything, it's not like they taste good or anything. Uh, four o'clocks are a great way uh, to control your Japanese meals. And I've never actually heard of the case of anybody losing a pet to, to uh, four o'clock, but it's always cautioned against, so I need to mention it there. Uh, one of the great things you can plant in your garden, chrysanthemums. Uh, chrysanthemums kind of act on nematodes, the bad nematodes, the same way French marigolds do. Uh, they have a real high attractive quality for beneficial insects, especially the small beneficial solitary wasps that just will wipe out a population of something like you know, your little, uh, your little uh, green hornworms or things like that they uh, they just tear those guys up when they're small so chrysanthemums is another thing to uh, consider planting and then you know I'm always big on putting some herbs in your garden and the four big ones I like to make sure are an all of my gardens are parsley, basil, oregano, and rosemary. I won't break them down individually. This podcast has gone kind of long, and I'm actually sitting in the parking lot at the office because I was interrupted uh, during this podcast with a phone call I had to take. Uh, But they all pretty much work the same way. They bring in a lot of the beneficials, and they have a repellent effect on a lot of the other uh, insects that you do not want in your garden. And again, instead of planting an herb garden with all herbs in it, if you want to do that, there's nothing wrong with that. It's probably a good idea. Locate it near your vegetable garden, but still plant, you know, a parsley plant in this bed, in the center square, and then maybe a marigold here, and then in the next bed, plant yourself some, you know, some, uh, some mint, and in the next bed, plant yourself some oregano, and these four, make sure they're all in your garden. Rosemary is another one you want to use care with. It's another one I recommend for your garden. Put it in a pot. It'll basically grow into a tree. It'll grow into it. I have a bush of rosemary on the side of my house that is absolutely enormous and the trunks on it are now so big I can't get my hands around them and it's only two years old. But if you put your rosemary into a pot you'll be able to move it around in your garden from time to time. Get the repellent effects. It's a wonderful herb uh, to use for culinary use. It is an herb that you're much better off using dried than fresh. Cut the sprigs, hang them up, let them dry out like dried pine needles. Shave them off of the, the branches just with your hands. Sprinkle them on bread with olive oil. Absolutely phenomenal. And you get all the benefit that they'll give you in your garden. Uh, Oregano, basil, parsley, you know, what more can I say? Those are the the staple herbs that are in every cook's pantry. Put them in your garden, grow your own, they'll help repel insects. They'll help attract beneficials. So hopefully this has been a good podcast. I got a bit distracted. My delivery wasn't the greatest. I apologize. If you're one of the new folks from Lou Rockwell, this isn't Howard Garrett, the Dirt Doctor. Not every day is going to be about organic gardening. Listen to some of the older episodes. And uh, hopefully this one came together well It's probably one I'm going to redo Because I did get some distractions here And uh, had to kind of uh, accelerate things And still ended up long somehow uh, Due to the distractions But just keep in mind, at all times with your gardening, it's about developing an ecosystem. It's not about giving a person with a headache willow bark instead of an aspirin. You want to create the sustainable infrastructure. Now, what about the things I was talking about, like using coffee grinds, compost, and blood meal uh, as an organic fertilizer to help your garden? Nothing wrong with it. I do it myself. But it's kind of a first-year thing until you get the soil to the level of health that you want it at. You want to try to work into a point where you only add things, you look at a plant and it's just not quite doing well, you give it a little bit of fertilization or it's getting a little bit attacked by insects then you use one of the things that I've given you to repel those insects or to kill those insects. When a plant's doing well, let it be. Let nature take its course. Keep an eye on it. Keep your water levels right. Keep everything else right. Use a lot of mulch in the summertime to keep the soil from drying out and to keep your soil healthy. And within a couple of years, what you'll have is a soil system that's so robust that a lot of these problems will solve themselves and you'll have a sustainable way to provide food for yourself and your family no matter what goes wrong. This has been Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Now, Cause it all gets spent